This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Um, the verse again, thank you, Tim, is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 through chapter 2, verse 4. Thanks, Ben. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to, who, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay closer closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll jump into uh, our next uh, sermon on, on the book of Hebrews as we focus on our, our confidence in the gospel. Father, thank you. Thank you for your majesty. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in a, just a wonderful way through your son. You um, just been thinking about your character and who you are, how you're eternal and we're bound by time, how you're immutable, you don't change and, and we, don't, we, we exist in, the, in, in a realm of change. We don't even know what it's like um, to, to be that, that who you are. It's, it's so beyond us, Lord. I thank you that you, you have no limits. You aren't exhausted. Uh, you're not watching the clock. You are infinite in your capacity. And yet you took on flesh. Um, took on the form of a servant, humbled yourself for us, 
Um, out, of, out of no need for yourself, Lord, you, you didn't need us at all. You're sufficient and satisfied, and yet you suffered for us to bring us to you just so we could see and experience your glory. Lord, I pray that the reality of who you are and your character would be something that just draws us to you. Help us through your spirit begin to understand some of these spiritual things that are, are beyond reason but are, but are spoken to us through your son. So I thank you for this morning. Uh, give us clarity. Help us understand what you're saying um, in this chapter so that we could walk away from here with more confidence in who you are. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so as I mentioned, our, our sort of series focus, and we talked about this a little bit last week, is, is, our, is uh, where, we put our, where we put our confidence. Um, and we sort of did a little quick survey or a handful of verses through um, the book of Hebrews to see how that's sort of a theme that, that does come up uh, throughout the book. And there's, there's a, a, a lot of ways you could approach the book of Hebrews. Um, it's fascinating how it uses the Old Testament um, that's a, that, that could be a sort of an angle of study, and we'll see some of that as we walk through it. Um, it's fascinating how it talks about uh, the unseen realities versus the seen realities, the things we can like touch and taste and, 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 and interact with versus the things we can't, uh, and how the things we can't are so much greater. Um, the, the, the women went through a Bible study last year uh, where we're focused on this idea of better, uh, there, there, there's a lot of things in, in the book of Hebrews are saying, hey, we have, a, we have the old covenant, which was true, but now we have the new covenant uh, enacted in better promises. So we have this idea that things are, are better in the book of Hebrews. And so there's, there's a lot of ways to approach a book and different themes as you go through it. But we're, I thought we'd focus on this idea of our, our confidence. Just like, what do we, because I think a lot of times we, maybe not consciously, maybe consciously, we put our confidence in the, in the wrong things. So this morning, we're gonna talk a little bit about misplaced confidence. And so we're gonna talk about the, the problem of misplaced confidence. Uh, the, we'll go through a large portion of the section is sort of the proofs uh, of our misplaced confidence. And then finally, uh, we'll end with what's the point. Uh, we'll see the problem, we'll see some of the proofs, and then we'll end with, okay, uh, what's the point? Uh, and we'll, we'll see, hopefully see that as we, as, we walk through, uh, as we walk through these passages in the book of Hebrews. So let's just start, as we think about the problem, let's start with verse three. It's almost like a really good reminder of some of the things that we talked about last week. And, and some commentators actually put verses one through four together as like one sentence. So he's told us, he started out by telling us that, okay, God has communicated, God has spoken long ago in, in various ways and different kinds. And now God's spoken in his son, sort of like this unified, directly to us message in his son. And he ends with telling us about some of the things that the son has accomplished. And so then we move on from that into verse three, and he's almost like expanding that. He's like, in case you missed how glorious and beautiful and wonderful the son is, uh, look at what he says in verse three. The son is the the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
So for a second, you didn't realize that the, the son is deity himself, that, that the son is, is, is God, the second person of the Trinity, also incarnate in the flesh and did some things. We talked a little bit about that last week. He goes on to give us some pretty big words, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, the exact imprint. Um, that's a fun, uh, one, of my, one of my favorite uh, snooty words is hapax legomenon. Like, yes, use that in a sentence. It just, it's a word that means that word is only used one time in all of a particular piece of literature, a hapax legomenon. I don't know. Just a weird word. Just say it a bunch of times. Um, but the exact imprint, we don't, that's not used anywhere else in scripture. Uh, it doesn't mean that word wasn't used in, in literature and things like that, but, but he's, he's, uh, there's this, it's like the image of a, a, a melting wax and like stamping something. He's saying Jesus, the son that's been revealed to us, is showing us God exactly. If you want to know what God is like, you can see him exactly in the person of Jesus. And he, and, he, and he says, on top of that, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's the son. That's, that's crazy. The, the, the same son who voluntarily put himself on the cross at the same time was holding everything together so that that could even be possible. And he goes on. After making, this is now, now he's talking about what Jesus has accomplished, sort of mirroring what he said in the previous verses about his, uh, who he is in his person and also what he's accomplished. He says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And we're gonna, we're gonna see more of this as we go through the proofs, all these different scripture passages that the author of Hebrews brings up. But, he, but he's saying he's accomplished the work He's done everything that the prophets have, have sort of said in the past. He's made purification for our sins. He's, he's rescued us from this gap between us and God. And this idea that he has sat down is, is that he's, he's, he's sort of, he's done. He's sat down, he's accomplished everything. And now he is at the right hand of the Father. Now he's ruling. It's just this image of the fact that he's ruling and reigning. He is the king. He has set up his kingdom. He's done all the things and earned the place on the throne. And this is the person that God, that the, that the author of Hebrews is saying that now God is communicating to us through. So he's sort of just carrying on from the last section and saying, as we, as we go forward, I just want to remind you that this person that God is communicating to us through is the exact imprint of God. He's upholding everything by the word of his power. He's accomplished salvation for us. And now he's sitting on the throne, ruling and reigning. And you can't help but like read that section and be like, amen. That's, that's, that's why we come and say that the gospel is beautiful. That's why we, we worship Christ because of what he's done and because of who he is. And he goes on, and I'm like excited about Jesus. And he goes on in verse four and he says, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And I read that, and I'm like, hold up, where did the angels come into this situation? Like, like I, uh, why did we go there? And, and he actually goes on, and you, you may have, if you were going through scripture, he goes on, and for the, almost the next two chapters, he's gonna compare Jesus to the angels. 
And I think when I first think of angels, it's those little precious moments figures that my like mom, I don't know if she collected them, but I feel like maybe it was grandma, but I feel like I see those little, those little things. And I'm like, okay, yeah, Jesus seems more cool than that after, after what you just said. So, so it's like, why, why is the author of Hebrews bringing up this idea of angels? And there's actually kind of a lot of debate um, in scholarship around exactly kind of what's going on here. But I think there's a couple of scripture passages that may help us sort of get into the mindset of maybe the, the original audience of the, of the book of Hebrews. Uh, Acts 7, verse 53, uh, should be up on the screen, but Stephen is scolding the Pharisees, and this is right before he gets stoned, and he says, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So he's like, what you received, angels delivered it to you, and you still kind of, re- you, still re- you still rejected it. So there's this, there's this idea that the, that the angels have a, have a part in how God is communicated and, and maybe even sort of the legitimacy of, of the information that's been communicated. Paul kind of says similar things in Galatians. He says, why then the law, as he's talking about how, th- how things are, are better in light of the new covenant, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made. He's talking about Jesus. And it was put in place through the angels by an intermediary. It was put in place through angels. So there's this, there's this idea uh, around the time of Christ that angels are sort of like a, a validating element to what God has communicated through the prophets. Uh, and, it, and if you... You know, you think about it, it's not, a, it's not just an idea, it's actually what God did if we look back uh, in, in, in how he used the prophets. Uh, angels showed up a lot with Abraham. You, know, you even have the angel of Yahweh, which has brought up a ton. Uh, this idea that uh, uh, sort of like a, a, a pre-incarnation um, uh, uh, representation of the son in, in the angel of Jehovah. Uh, so, so you have angels in, in, in early on with Abraham. There's this, this idea that uh, uh, they're helping communicate or they're helping validate maybe what God is communicating. Uh, Joshua is another one. After Moses and they're going into the promised land, they have the angel that uh, he interacts with and uh, shows up on the way and, and says that he's gonna go and, and fight for him. So there's this idea that the angel is involved in what God is doing uh, early on. Uh, I think of Daniel, the book of Daniel. He basically just looks at the angel and is like, I don't even know what this is all about. You wanna explain this to me? So, that, so there's this idea that the, the angels are involved in, in what, uh, what God is speaking through the prophets. Uh, and I think, I think a part of this is, is sort of giving credibility to what God has communicated. And we don't, you know, we've, we've dug up things from that time period. Uh, the caves in Qumran have like an emphasis on sort of the angelic uh, uh, involvement in what God has said. So it seems like from the passages in scripture, from things we've dug up in history, uh, from the actual involvement of angels in, the, in, in God's communication with people, it seems like angels sort of add credibility to something. They sort of add weight to it. And I was thinking about it uh, at, at the, uh, this, this is kind of the true in, in other false religions too. Uh, they, uh, in, uh, in Islam, 
I, it's, I think it's, it's uh, Layla, Layla, I'll just give you the English version. Night of power is what it's called. Um, but it's, I think it's typically the last day of Ramadan. They celebrate when the angel Gabriel began to reveal the Quran. And if you pray a lot on that night, it actually is like more effect, uh, effects, it's better. More efficacious, I can't think of the word. Is that right? <laughs> the linguist son is giving me a thumbs up. Um, efficacious, no, all right, well. <laughs> so, that, so even in even Islam, the idea that an angel helped communicate the Quran adds credibility to that. Same thing with the Book of Mormon. An angel was involved in the communication of that book, so that, that sort of adds credibility to this. And it's interesting, and I think that, that this is what the author of, of Hebrews is trying to say. He's, he's giving an argument about the communication of God himself in the person of Jesus. He's telling us about, he's telling us about the majesty and the glory and the beauty and the wonder and the, the fact that the Son upholds everything by the word of his power. And I think he knows sort of in that particular context, that there's gonna be people that push back and say, well, what about the angels? What about the fact that the things that I believe that God has said in the past come with more credibility because they've been communicated with angelic force? And I was thinking about how that kind of makes sense. We don't think this way uh, a ton, but if I was online Googling something and all of a sudden an angel showed up and, it was, and I fell to the ground and he said, you don't need to Google, here is the answer of the thing. I would be like, fine, good, I'm good with that. I, credibility given, you know, all of this. So, the, so there's, some, there's some sense that, that an angel showing up with, with God's prophecy does add some credibility to what's being said. And, and so he's, what he's doing is he's going through and he's saying, yes, there's some credibility here, but I wanna tell you why you should put more confidence in the sun than this other thing that actually does kind of garner some credibility for what God has communicated. And I think that's where the, the, the problem, the problem is that we'll misplace our confidence in things that are credible instead of the sun. There's lots of things in our life that I think are, are generally credible and we misplace our confidence in those things over and above what's been communicated in the sun. And I was trying to think about, you know, no one in the room has said, Aaron, Angel told me this, so I'm gonna go with this. Um, unless it's Angel talking to me, she has told me things, which is credible. So, but, but no, one's, no one, no one has uh, had, a, had to fall to the floor for a, a, you know, a, an angelic being showing up. And, you know, if God wants to do that, uh, but we, so I was thinking, where do we put our, where do we invest credibility in something that is, is credible? And how does that thing shape our view of the world, our view of myself, or even just what I do? Where do I invest sort of credibility? And I think the, the first thing I kind of thought of was like the internet. And that's like half a joke and half not a joke because it's like, it's like a loaded gun, you know? It can do things it needs to do, but it can also do terrible things. Um, so, but there is, like we, we, I think behind that is we put a lot of credibility in ourselves. Of course, I'm not led astray. I spend all the time doing the research. 
I know how to filter through uh, fake and not fake information. I have, I, we put a lot of credibility sort of in ourselves to, to, to figure out something to be true. And I think there's, in a sense, just like with the angels, there's nothing ultimately wrong with that. But do we put, where, is, where do we have more confidence? Do we have more confidence in our own ability to find the truth, whether it's through the internet or whatever, or do we have more confidence in what's been communicated to us through the sun? Where do we put our confidence? Another one I kind of thought of is, is our, own, our own experience and our emotions. Our experience and our emotions. And, and there's nothing wrong with having some confidence in our experience. God has given us emotions. There's nothing wrong with how we feel about a certain situation. But, but do, do those things affect how we view God? and what Jesus has done, and what God has said about us? Or is the revelation that God has given us his son override and affect my emotions and my experience? Where do I have more confidence? So I think that's the problem that he's addressing with, the, with sort of this shift to the angelic realm. Saying, look, there's, it's good that you had confidence in the angels showing up with God and the prophets. But I have something better. It's good that we have confidence in, in, in our experience or in our emotions or in our research, but, but Jesus is giving us something better. Jesus is giving us something we should have more confidence in. Jesus is saying, what I have said about you, what I've communicated to God, should override how you feel about a situation. What I have promised you in scripture, you should have more confidence in that than the six hours you spent on Reddit going down the rabbit hole or wherever. Maybe there's a better place to go. <laughs> He's trying to communicate to us that there's a, there's a better, there's a more wonderful thing that we should have confidence in. And that's what's communicated in the sun. So he kind of goes to the angels and then he goes on to give us some proofs. He's like, let me, let me just pull from scripture some proofs that give, you, that, that give you reasons to have more confidence in the Son. Let's start with verse 5. He says, for which of the angels did God ever say? I love how straightforward he is. Let's just, let's just go straight forward here. Which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And this is, he's going to quote, he's quoting from Psalm 2. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful psalm, um, but, it, but it, the whole psalm is about God's anointed. God's, God's a anointed king that in, a, in, in an almost unexplainable way uh, in the psalm is more than just a king, but is actually the son of God. He, he, he has begotten his son. Today I have begotten my son. He's saying, this king, this anointed one that's gonna crush all the enemies in Psalm 2, is more than just a king. He actually has all of the authority, all of the uh, uh, preeminence, all, all of the, the, the uh, uh, he is an heir of all the things that God owns because he's a son of God. And so he's, so, and, G, and there's, there's some, again, there's some conversation about when exactly the time frame for this was for Jesus, but more than likely it was at his ascension. 
He, he, he showed up, he did all the things, he died on the cross, he took the punishment for our sin, and now God is saying, look at my son, he is now enthroned. He is now has all authority and power. He has, my, in Revelation pictured it as the, this plan that God has had, he passes off to the son and says, go for it. You are the one who's gonna execute my plan. And he's saying, hey, when did angels ever get to do that? And he goes on, or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Which is interesting because he's quoting from 2 Samuel. He's quoting from 2 Samuel where promises are made to David. And he's saying, how many of these promises were made to angels? Huh? How many of these promises were made to angels? I love how he goes back in scripture where he's talking about the Messiah He's talking about the king. He's talking about the Lord. And he doesn't even argue that it's about Jesus. He's like, Avi. Avi, this thing that I'm pulling from is about Jesus. That's not even like on the table. He's like, I'm literally just quoting about the Messiah. This is the son. All those things that the prophets spoke long ago were actually about the son. And I'm gonna pull back and prove the point that the, that the angels are inferior to the son. Verse six he says, again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In the Old Testament, who were the Israelites called to worship? Yahweh, God. And they were actually excluded from worshiping anyone else. And he's like, look, Psalm 97 is talking about the Lord, the, the ruler. There's a couple ways that word is, is used. Psalm 97 is talking about the ruler. And in that Psalm, it says, hey, this ruler of God should be worshiped by the angels, by the holy sinless angels should worship. And this, again, this is fulfilled in Revelation in the Ascension when he goes up and they're worshiping the father. The, 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 the lamb that's there as though slain is is given sort of the keys to the kingdom, so to speak. And then the angels cry out, holy, 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 and worship the lamb. He's telling us these, he's giving us from scripture proof after proof after proof that our confidence should be placed in nothing greater than the son himself because he's God himself and he should be worshiped. Verse seven, he's like, okay, if all those things weren't direct enough, what are the angels? Let's go over there. He says, the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. And he's quoting from Psalm 104. He's saying the angels are servants. They're ministers. They're there to serve. They're not sons. They're not worthy of worship. Which, which there are times in the Bible where people are tempted to worship the angels and the angels actually correct them and say, yeah, maybe the angels are without sin, but they're not worthy of worship. They're not greater than the son. And he goes on in verse eight, he kind of expands on this. He's like, look, I gave you some really straightforward things. Why is the son better? He, he is deserving of worship. He has all rule and authority of the father because he's a son. 
But more than that, the Bible speaks of his rule and his reign and his kingdom. And that's not how it talks about the angels. Verse eight, he says, but of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of a brightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. It says your throne is forever and ever. He's making a, a really big emphasis on the rule and reign of the son. Angels, powerful. There's some really interesting stuff about what they do in the Bible. We could kind of go down that rabbit trail, but we won't. Um, the son, eternal kingdom. Ruler, in charge of everything forever. This is what, he's saying, look at scripture. This is why the son is, is so much worth putting your confidence in. What, what could we say that about? Like, I, I feel like when I experience something and I, and I begin to think less of God or uh, I, I begin to take my feelings and my thoughts, begin to sh color and shape how I view the world, I don't have an eternal throne. I am not ruling and reigning over all things. So then why do I take my experience, my feelings about a situation and override what God has communicated in his son? You say, how foolish is that? We do that. He goes on in verse 10. He says, you Lord which this is interesting. I guess he just said that he upholds the universe by the word of his power, but he's, he's pulling from a psalm about the ruler who does all these things. And he's saying, let me tell you about the son. It says, you Lord laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. Wow, that's kind of a big deal. And the heavens are the work of your hands. He's talking about the son. They will perish, but you remain they will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. He's talking about the supremacy of the son and the fact that he was there at creation. What the son has communicated to us should override everything. God's promise to you that he loves you, that he cares for you, that he's atoned for you on the cross, that he's, he's gonna restore all things in the new creation, that he works out everything for your good, you particularly, your life, so that you could be imaging his son. All of those promises shouldn't be swayed by anything we learn, by anything we experience, by anything that we feel. He's saying the one who promised that, the one who communicated that was there before creation. That's the kind of person you can put your confidence in. That's the degree at which he's communicated these things that you can rest your confidence in more than anything else you could potentially have confidence, including holy angels that delivered actual true good things of God. Now the son has given you so much more clarity. That's where your confidence should be.
I feel like if you're the angels reading this, you're probably like, all right, the book of Hebrews, I get it. You know, verse 13 says, and so let's go back to the angels. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Implied none of them. And he hits up in verse 14, he says, are they not all ministering, which is another way to say serving, ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Are not holy angels that help communicate truths of God, talk about a credible place for information, but even those holy angels compared to the sun, almost seem embarrassing. And he gives us proof after proof after proof from scripture. So what's the point? What's the point of telling us about misplacing our confidence and sometimes in good things and not in the ultimate thing, not in the, the ruler of the universe, the, the one who's accomplished everything, the exact imprint of God who has communicated to us everything about God. What's the, what's the point of giving us all these proofs? So, so this is why I like the book of Hebrews. We'll see this a lot. He'll give us sort of this theology and he'll be rolling through different things. And, and often as he's, he's forward leaning, you know, it's almost like in a comparison with Paul, you know, he's like, hey, you probably shouldn't do this, you know, this part of your church or hey, good job over here. And then he kind of gives us some theology to sort of back that up and, and make sense of that. He's interacting with something that's going on in the church. Uh, in the book of Hebrews, he's like, look, I'm spelling this out for you. I'm just, I'm just going to lead with what is important and how you should consider these things. And, and every now and then he'll stop and make application for that. And so it's nice as a preacher when the, the guy writing that you're preaching from does that for you. So he stops and makes application. So what's the point? Chapter two, verse one, he says, therefore, which growing up, we said, when you see it, therefore, always ask what it's there for. <laughs> it's cheesy, but it's good. <laughs> Therefore, he's like, I have just given you an extended argument, proofs, back to back to back about how wonderful the son is and what he's communicated. So in light of all those things I just told you, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. And it's like emphatic. We must, we have to, we must pay not just closer attention, we must pay we must pay much closer attention. Lest we drift away from it. Lest we drift away from it. What's the danger? What does he mean by drift away from it? There's some... There is a, a true reality, and we talk about this is the beauty of the gospel. Uh, praying, even praying for our children this morning, we, we, uh, we ask that God would objectively transfer us from the kingdom of darkness or the dominion, domain of darkness 
to the kingdom of his beloved son. There's like a, there's like a transfer there that happens, like a real one. And you can't like halfway transfer and you can't go back. So there's a real transfer that happens in conversion. Um, you were not united to Jesus and now you are united to Jesus. That's an objective transfer. And so we're gonna see this as we go through the book of Hebrews. He's not talking about the objective transfer. I don't get like a stamp, you know, like the Left Behind series, nothing glows on my forehead. Um, right? So fun to throw that under the bus. I enjoyed it when I was a kid though. Um, you, we don't see, a, I don't see a, a, a stamp on someone's forehead or I don't see that there's not something I can, I can see that that transfer has happened. And so in the book of Hebrews, he's gonna warn us. He's gonna say, look, let's just consider our lives. Let's just think about the things we're doing and where we're putting our confidence so that we don't drift away. Because the, the people who have been transferred, the people who have been united to Christ will, will not. They will not drift away. They will, they will be sustained until the end. That's the, the beauty and the wonder of the gospel. But, but he warns us. There's not, a, there's not a, a tag or a tattoo that pops up when that happens. He's saying, look, I want you to take this serious. I want you to examine yourself as would be said in other parts of the Bible and, and consider where you put your confidence. To, to consider how does your beliefs actually work out in your life? And he kind of expands on this. I thought it'd be good just to jump ahead for a second. This is another example in chapter three, verse 12. Did I put that? Yeah, cool. He's kind of doing the same thing. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. He's saying, I want to warn you, brothers, that we can go back and he, you know, I think Cole will actually preach on this and they're talking about some things that have happened in the past. So he's warning us. He's saying, take care, brothers. Don't fall away. He says, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. Exhort is this idea of coming alongside someone with the truth of scripture. Saying, hey, let, let, let's place our, help your brothers and sisters place their confidence in the gospel. And he says that because so that none of us may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And we talked about that in our series in Corinthians. Sin is, is like radiation. It just gets everywhere and it corrupts everything and it deceives us. And, and because you and I have sin remaining, we are deceived by it. That's, that's part of why we have a community project. I can't, I don't know all the things I'm deceived by. I need Tim's help for that. You don't know all the things you're deceived by. You need people in your gospel community to know you and to consider you and to help you not be, to exhort you, to help you not be deceived. He says, for if we have come to share in Christ, if indeed, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm into the end. He's warning us. He's saying, I'm telling you about the, the wonder and the majesty and the supremacy of the son because I want you to cling to that to the very end. I want that to be the thing that you rest in, that you shape every thought about who you are and about the world. I want you to cling to that to the very end. And that's what he's saying in chapter two, verse one. He's saying, we must pay closer attention to this. 
It's not through the prophets to the fathers. It's to you through the son. It's a big deal. And angels also big deal. They validated a lot of what God has done. Jesus, bigger deal. More credible. So because of that, we must pay close, much closer attention, which is ringing in my head all week. And all the things that distract me every day from it are ridiculous. I'm like obsessing over one thing or the other. I had some very unfortunate urgent care visits. Um, I'm fine, but it wrecks your schedule and does all kinds of things. And I'm six hours into sitting on oxygen at two in the morning before I go home. I'm not paying closer attention to what Jesus is doing. I'm thinking about all the things I need to rearrange and coordinate so I can make my life make more sense the rest of the week. And in my head, the Spirit is saying, no, you must pay closer attention to what Jesus has communicated. He's the king. He's ruling over this. There's not, I don't have to stress about it. He is, he's ruling and he's reigning. He's working at his plan. My car broke down like the day before that. Messed up a bunch of things. I was in the mountains and getting to my condo and getting to the car to Denver was like a logistical nightmare. And I spent like most of the afternoon trying to figure out how to get back to Denver. And I feel like God is saying, no, those are good things, but you must pay closer attention to what Jesus has done. Don't drift away from that. He tells us why in verse two. For, or because... Since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, it was legit. And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He's saying, if you've been in Sunday school, you know what happened to Israel every time they disobeyed the law. It didn't go so well for them. It's like, it's like wash, rinse, and repeat for the Old Testament stories sometimes. I mean, just read the book of Judges. They turn to the Lord, he rescues them, they go off and do their own thing, and they're, they're punished. That's like, there's the Judges times like 15. And the amount of sin just escalates and the people get messier and messier. He's saying, look, even the law that was communicated by angels was legitimate, and there was consequences to that for the people of God. If that's true, and what the Son is communicated is so much greater, so much more clear, so much more directly to you, how shall we escape just retribution if we neglect such a great salvation? He's warning us. Later in the book of Hebrews, it says, the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. He, he wasn't disciplining the Philistines to draw them back to him. He was disciplining Israel because it was his chosen people whom he loves. So when we neglect, when we're not paying much closer attention to what God has communicated to us, and we feel the discipline of our father, it's because we're children. 
He's pursuing you. He's going after you. He's saying, I want you to pay much closer attention to what I've communicated. If, if there was no consequences for that, it's because I, you're not my son. I don't care, in a sense. And then he kind of ends. He ends with almost just like reiterating how much we should put our confidence in the revelation of Jesus. He's like, I, I'm warning you, pay closer attention. But he ends by saying, look, it was declared at first by the Lord. All these things I'm telling you, Jesus was on this planet declaring the kingdom of God has arrived for years. God himself was speaking to us. He goes on and says, not just that, it was attested to us by those who heard. There were witnesses. Jesus wasn't part of a weird little cult that was hard to get into. He was publicly proclaiming all the things about God in front of a ton of crowd and doing all sorts of miracles. This isn't something that might have happened. This for sure happened. That's why we should pay close attention to it. And then he says, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributing according to his will. It's like, not only did God show up in the flesh and tell us, not only did people witness what happens, but it's hard not to think of the apostles right there. You read the book of Acts, God continued to display his glory through the messengers that Christ appointed in the apostles in, in some pretty miraculous and crazy ways. And I think when we, when we look at misplacing our confidence, there's so many like good things, just like the angels, it proves reliable. There's so many good things about our experience, about how we feel, about research we do, that we can put our confidence in. But just like the angels, there's something better. And that's what we're gonna talk about as we go through the book of Hebrews. There's something better that we can place our confidence in. And that's the person and work of Jesus Christ. Everything he has done, everything he's doing on the throne, ruling and reigning in this forever kingdom, and everything he's promised to do in the future. And that's the point. Don't, be, don't drift away from that. We, we pay much closer attention to what God has revealed to us in his son. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your limitless patience with us. Thank you for warnings. Lord, we need to hear that. You, you love us and you care for us. And, and like we would discipline our children, you discipline us. You, you don't do it because you think less of us. You don't do it out of spite. You don't do it because it angers you. You do it because you care for us. You're affectionate towards us and you want us to pay much closer attention to you. Lord, I pray that those words would just ring in our heads this week. And when we go an entire work day or a work week or a, or a vacation paying zero attention, um, and, we, and we hear you say, Lord, that we should pay much closer attention to, to your son, that we would know that you love us and are, and are sharing that in our minds so that we would be drawn to 
and affectionate towards you because you're affectionate towards us. Lord, I thank you for that reality. In your name I pray, amen.